Today on Government Matters, the federal government's IT backbone, a month into the biggest teleworkload the network's ever seen. The federal chief information officer has an update. What the government's learning in its COVID-19 response that it will use after coronavirus is gone, Suzette Kent will tell you. And the Pentagon is off the hook in the biggest cloud computing contract in history, but the White House isn't. You'll learn why on the Federal Beat. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Chief information officers across government meet every day to go over updates on networks, applications, and IT. The goal is to keep agencies up and running as smoothly as possible during the coronavirus pandemic. Leading the effort, Suzette Kent, the Chief Information Officer of the United States. Suzette, thanks for joining me this morning. Now that we're about a month into this, what are you and your colleagues, your IT peers across government, learning about what you have and what you need to support what you're doing as a result of coronavirus? Well, good morning. First of all, Francis, uh, thank you for having me. And we have learned quite a bit. And I have to start with a thank you and um, accommodation to all of the members of the IT community. And that includes our, our vendor partners and the support groups that are around, you know, IT. What, what we were challenged with was as we moved to this maximum telework situation and focused on two things, response and continuity of operations. It was a different type of challenge. And the thing that has been very positive across the agencies is that they responded well. Uh, as you mentioned, we meet as a group and collaborate, you know, share both learnings. Um, we're operating at a speed that is much faster than standard, uh, what you would normally see, as well as uh, have scaled, you know, operations. And the very exciting thing is the investments that we have made in modernization. Cloud solutions, scalable commercial platforms, and the collaboration tools that many agencies have are the reason that we're able to respond quickly to this unique challenge um, and act on some of the recovery things, as well as continue operations. In, among the issues that uh, agencies have had, successes or challenges that they've had in responding to this maximum telework, are there common threads or is each agency facing its own successes and challenges because of the position it happens to be in, its posture before coronavirus happened? Yeah. Great question, Francis, and a little bit of both. Um, when agencies plan for telework in a traditional environment, the, there was a, a finite set of individuals and activities that were eligible for telework. In this situation, that changed. So that was a change to what the um, superset of, of the audience for telework looked like. We also learned with some agencies, we, we asked questions about things that we could, and areas where we could reduce person-to-person -person contact 
And so we changed our operating model. And so moving to those things presented also a different type of environment and places where agencies had to make changes. And those are some of the areas where they shared um, ideas, tips, and, and uh, ability to move quickly with each other. A great example is how VA and SSA pivoted from in-person activities to things that they did through phone interviews. So um, very, in a, in a great way, many agencies were ready but across the board, this is a, uh, it has presented a challenge that is a higher and much longer sustained telework environment than has ever been used before. You mentioned a moment ago, Suzette, that some of the modernization investments you've already made, the government's already made, are paying off here. What are some examples of that? And what are some examples of places where you've seen maybe because you didn't get a chance to implement the modernization initiatives you've wanted to in a particular place or because they haven't been funded yet or whatever, where are some of the places where you see chances to drive that, whether it's during the virus uh, situation or afterward? Yeah. Francis, that's a great question and it's something that the CIO group is robustly debating right now. So the, the investments that paid off, you know, cloud email, um, scalable solutions that we could move from an average expected volume to this unexpected volume. Investments in collaboration tools. It's been very exciting for me to hear teams say that they're using collaboration tools for meetings and they're doing things like screen sharing when they've never done that before. We also, you know, and I bet that those examples are about operations inside government. One of the most important things, um, important areas of investment is ways that we deliver digital services to citizens. And that's the areas where we have recognized that we have much more opportunity. Those things were still on the list for many agencies to continue their modernization efforts and their development. So this has actually challenged us to move faster on some of those capabilities so that we can continue continuity of operations and services for citizens, but do it in a way that doesn't require person-to-person -person contact. We have about a minute left in this part of our conversation, Suzette. You've used the term move faster a number of times already in the time that we've been talking this morning. What does that look like and how are you, what are you able to do faster now that you couldn't before and how so is it just because of this forcing function or are, are you able to get people to do things the, in ways they maybe couldn't or wouldn't before or, or what? Yeah. Um, Francis, it, it, it is definitely about the people and the pace at which they are working. I, I, I think many who are watching your show should be uh, proud at the level of effort and urgency and intensity uh, that, that we're seeing across the federal government. We're, we're using our, our same processes, we're governed by uh, the same set of activities, but in some agencies we're running shifts, you know, three shifts. Um, people are working, you know, 24 seven. They are all focused and on point uh, for the same set of activities. Um, and, and, and that is not different in our standard processes, but the level of urgency um, and the common focus on a very narrow set of objectives has been different. And there's not many situations where there's new guidance coming out almost every single day. 
Um, so those require very fast discussions and things that inside the federal government, um, people were maybe used to a certain pace. When that pace is not measured in days and months, it's measured in minutes and hours. Um, it's, it's a different type of challenge and it's been, it, it's been very important to see how everyone has stepped up to that challenge. Suzette, there are two words there after the break that I want to pursue and those words are opportunity and intensity. So stand by and we'll continue our conversation more with Suzette Kent right after the break. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. Some agencies are looking at the changing business processes because of the coronavirus as an opportunity. Suzette Kent is the Chief Information Officer of the United States. My conversation with her continues. Uh, as I mentioned before the break, Suzette, opportunity presents itself in situations like this. What opportunities do you see to change the way that the government does business, to change the way that CIOs do business across their agencies? that when coronavirus is gone and just a memory, people are still reaping the benefits of either what the intensity or need for speed or whatever has forced on us during this time. Well, Francis, you know, again, first and foremost, we, we made many investments in modernization with ideas about what the future of work looks like and what types of capabilities that we wanna have we're having to prove that in this situation and prove that we can operate at scale in this um, remote and maximum telework uh, situation and continue operations. And in addition to that, have the capacity to take on the, the very important challenges of response to the coronavirus. So it's a proof point of the areas of investment and I've been, you know, I, I've talked a little bit about modernization. Some of the areas I didn't touch on too were around uh, data and, and the things in the federal data strategy. And many have seen that there's been more sharing of data, public-private uh, partnerships and sharing externally, sharing compute resources so that our nation uh, can collaborate and, and react and act um, on this particular challenge. Um, so investments that we've made both in modernization and in data have paid off. And we've had underlying capabilities that we could leverage and learnings and things that agencies could, were doing, but now we've been able to put those to the test. And your point of things that we'd like to do more, as I mentioned in the previous segment, we have the opportunity to ask the question, why can't I do this in a digital form? Or how can I change a business process to continue to achieve the outcome, but leverage technology and, and change how we work? And much of that sometimes is the behavior and the acceptance, not the availability of technology. So it's been uh, very interesting and heartening when I'm having conversations sometimes with individuals and they say, oh, I was on my first you know, conference call with video or I, I did an electronic, you know, I signed something with a digital signature um, or, or have you seen this great feature, you know, on this, this tool? Those are steps forward and we have to ensure that when we have the opportunity to return to a, a normal work environment, um, 
that we don't lose our skills in leveraging those capabilities. And we continue to ask the question, you know, what can we do better, especially for the citizen facing services to create that kind of flexibility. So you're using technology terms, I note, from the president's management agenda. This is all tying together, isn't it, Suzette? You're trying to keep that on track while people are doing business in a completely different way. You're talking about the future of work, what the workforce looks like at some future date. You're talking about data and using it effectively to meet mission. And you're talking about uh, all of these, the customer experience, the citizen experience, all of that. That's, you, it sounds like you're trying to not let this affect the progress that you want to make on the PMA and the other modernization efforts that you've undertaken. Well, Francis, uh, I'll say it a different way. The modernization efforts that we're undertaking and what we're doing with data prepares us to take action in any kind of situation. That's right, why these are the right investments. And this is a proof point. Uh, again, the ability to share data across agencies, how we're responding uh, to the uh, CARES Act, had agencies had to share data in ways that weren't planned and weren't standard, but we could do that more quickly because some of the foundational um, things that we had done with the federal data strategy with both APIs and protocols to do that. As we reach out to state and local governments, uh, there, there are components that we can leverage there. We've talked a lot about the modernization, but if all of the agencies would not have been in a position where they could communicate with each other and they could rapidly um, scale to telework, we wouldn't have been able to support continuity of operations, and we certainly would not have been as well positioned to respond to these types of challenges. So the we're still following the principles of the PMA because they were created and with the vision of our ability to be ready for any challenge and face any challenge and continue service to citizens. We have less than a minute left, but I have to ask you, and a lot more things I'd like to cover, but a fellow LSU Tiger has told me that you have a pretty cool mask that you're wearing when you need to go outside. I do, all right, Francis. This is my, uh, this is my show and tell for the end, so I'm following the, the CDC guidance, and so if I see you on the streets, this is what I'll be wearing. You're doing what a good government leader should do, Suzette. Thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Francis. Up next, the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Contract under review straight ahead on Government Matters. Who's off the hook from the Inspector General and who's not? The federal beat is up next. Welcome back. The Defense Department Inspector General says the agency acted properly in awarding the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract to Microsoft. But they couldn't say for sure whether influence from the White House impacted the decision. Several administration officials wouldn't answer questions from the IG. Frank Kunkel is executive editor of NextGov. Justin Doubleday's managing editor at Inside the Pentagon. Both have been tracking this contract award throughout its history. Justin, I want to start with you. What specifically was the IG looking at and how did the IG office come to the finding that it uh, released this week? Well, the IG was looking at a few different areas, uh, Francis. And I think it's important to look back to when this investigation started last June. Um, there was a lot of noise from Oracle and some other companies that 
the single award uh, procurement was a flawed strategy and that it was being pushed by um, Pentagon officials who were um, essentially tied to Amazon to benefit Amazon. And so the IG looked at uh, both of those issues and they found that the single award strategy was in line with the law and it was in line with the FAR. And they also uh, cleared most officials of any ethical violations. They cleared former Secretary uh, of Defense Jim Mattis and some of his staff um, who had been accused of these ethical violations and their ties to Amazon. Um, the third issue, the third takeaway is what's really interesting, and that is that they could not definitively determine whether the White House influenced the source selection decision. And as you mentioned, that's because several officials did not answer questions because of presidential communications privilege. Frank, what questions did the IG want to ask people in the White House that they didn't answer? And what do we know, if anything, about the kind of information that would have revealed to help the IG make a decision uh, about the White House's role in all of this? Yeah, there were seven uh, senior DOD officials over the course of the investigation, which ran over a year, that they were not able to actually interview face to face. There was uh, several questions around their communications with the White House specifically. They invoked a similar privilege to um, what officials invoked during the Ukraine investigation, which was saying essentially that if you had contact with the, with the White House, we don't have to talk to you. <clears throat> and so they were instructed by the uh, DOD Office of General Counsel not to answer specific questions related to White House communications. Um, it was a bit, a bit surprising. Um, this sort of one of my takeaways from this report is it sort of says the people we did talk to did a um, did a good job. They followed the the letters of the procurement law, um, as Justin said. They followed the FAR. They did the single award, which was such a, a controversial um, premise in the in the beginning. They did it right. However, it's you know it's like we have this big cloud contract. There's still a cloud that hangs over this. This doesn't resolve anything. Um, <clears throat> What will really resolve it, I guess, is the ongoing litigation um, between Amazon and Microsoft. And I was trying to think before this, I'd love to hear Justin's opinion, who this actually helps if either of those two companies, I'm not really sure, um, because it, it, it sort of says, again, the folks we talked to seem to be okay, but then these other seven senior officials, which include the defense secretary, we don't know. And uh, when you have the air of suspicion, I don't think it's good for the government or the, the bidders or the public, really. Justin, given that this is in court with uh, the Amazon Web Services protest, does this mean anything to the future of this contract, do you think? Or is this just another data point in the argument that's been going back and forth between people who support the award the way that it was given and the people who don't? Yeah, well, I, I think I agree with Frank that, you know, it just casts more um, clouds of suspicion over this procurement because the IG wasn't able to talk to those officials about um, White House influence and White House communications. Um, I think it depends on, on what side you're on. You know, Microsoft could point to the fact that, you know, um, the IG essentially said we found no evidence that the um, source selection team was influenced by anyone senior to them and that they followed the letter of the law. And if you're Amazon, you're going to point to the fact that, well, the IG couldn't talk to several senior defense officials 
about their communications with the White House, and they couldn't talk to White House personnel at all. Frank, we are headed toward two years that we've been talking about this. We're seeing some uh, writing this week about the possibility that maybe it's time for the department to just scrap this and start over. Uh, General Shanahan at the Jake has said a couple of times, we can't do that because we need this yesterday. We need this capability yesterday. What's your sense of what this IG report might add, if anything, to that narrative about maybe it's really time to do it over again and use some of the tools the Pentagon has at its disposal to speed this acquisition and do it in a way that is more transparent and more obvious to everybody that it's done on the up and up? Yeah, I I don't think that this IG report is going to uh, to do that. I think it actually helps the government's case in that uh, it backs up their the validity of a single award contract in the first place. I think the government intended a long time ago to have this sort of single award contract be a pilot and then move so, sort of similarly to a multi-cloud enterprise-wide uh, operation similar to what the intelligence community is attempting to do with its C2E program that's in the, the early days. Uh, but that's just been held up. I mean, you said two years. It's actually been almost three years since uh, then-Secretary Mattis flew out uh, on the West Coast, met with a bunch of these big cloud companies, and then, then Deputy Secretary Shanahan put out a memo that said, hey, we're going to do this. So it's been, it's been over two and a half years. We still don't have anything in operation yet. Uh, it's a national security imperative. We've heard that, as you alluded to, from several uh, leading DOD officials, but they can't get it done. Frank, apologies. We're out of time. Thank you both very much for joining me. Frank Kunkel, Justin Doubleday, appreciate it. We'll be right back in a moment on Government Matters. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.